This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week are two just really cool folks, Kara Shimborski. Hey. And Paul Jaisley. Hello. Thank you both for joining me this week. I'm super excited to be here to talk about comic books. It's quite honestly the coolest thing. I was at FlameCon yesterday afternoon. Well, I should say yesterday all day, pretty much. Um, and I have this new love for comic books unlike ever before. And this happens every year when I go to FlameCon. So two years in a row. Now, Mike, for our <laughs> listeners, exactly how many additional pieces of shirtless Kylo Ren memorabilia did you pick up this time around? All right. So <laughs> let me be clear. <laughs> I was walking around FlameCon, and I happened to see out of the corner of my eye, like, these little wooden pins that had, like, shirtless Kylo Ren. And if you're a stalker on Twitter or, you know, you're one of the iRead comic books folks, uh, you would know that I have a growing collection of shirtless Kylo Ren things um, currently on a wall. And... Before the FlameCon, I had two items. I had one that was done um, by an independent pin artist whose name is escaping me. I had one done by Dustin Nguyen. And when I went to FlameCon, I came home with three more pieces of shirtless <laughs> Kylo Ren memorabilia. <laughs> two of them, I walked up to this booth uh, of someone named Mitty Young, I want to say, but I think that's wrong. Um, I don't have her card. I misplaced it but i walked up to her booth i saw these pins and i was like oh this is so cool i'll i'll take this one and she said well if you like yeah <laughs> she said well if you want to get both of the pins because she had two of them she says i'll also give you this sticker <laughs> and the sticker she gave me is like this beautiful square thing with like emojis all over it's like a screen cap from the movie um and i put my hands to my face home alone style and i said oh my god this is perfect <laughs> and we kind of nerded out about how much kylo ren stuff there potentially is and i was like well i've got this pin and this pin and she's like well i've got this picture and someone drew me a commission and then someone took the screen and i was like this is the coolest thing this person is my favorite person and as we were talking another like Another woman walked up next to us, and she had one of those, like, plastic bags that has, like, a see-through front so you can, like, hang all your charms and pins. And she was like, you could always get a backpack like this and, like, build a shrine for him. <laughs> and I was like, hell yeah, I could. Now, Mike, what is what is the uh, appeal of Shirtless Kylo Ren for you? So, the first time, the first pin that I got was at Emerald City Comic Con, and I just thought it was the funniest thing <laughs> I'd ever seen because that moment in The Force Awakens, or what is it? No, The Last Jedi, Last Jedi. where you know Kylo is shirtless and walking. He's just such a weirdly shaped man. Like I, <laughs> I love, I love it's that actor to death. He's just mm -hmm. like, yeah, the cummerbund just makes him look weird and just, like misshapen. Like he just looks like a rectangle with arms and a head, <laughs> and. It was so funny to me, so I bought this one pin, and I was like, this is perfect. And then I saw Dustin Nguyen made one, and I was like, this is even perfecter. <laughs> and now it's kind of just like a joke where anytime I can find a way to bring it into conversation or bring it up or find a picture of it or use it as like a reaction to something, I do. And so now it's just my shtick. I don't know. I just think it's a lot of fun to because I don't feel like I'm poking fun at Adam Driver. I feel like I'm just embracing the ridiculousness of the whole situation that happened in The Last Jedi, and I'm very happy for it. Like, I'm just... <laughs> I just think it's, it's such a fun, fun thing, and I'm totally fine with owning it. Well, it's just um, like when that part happened in the movie, that was when I was like, this is fan fiction and I'm here for it every second. <laughs> yes, like this is yes, literally yeah. something that would happen in a fanfic, except it's in a real Star Wars movie. This is real and happening right now. And I exactly. loved it. So yeah. I don't know. I, I just think it's a lot of fun. Go ahead, Paul. I was just going to say, I like that that's kind of become a defining moment of Star Wars fandom now where everyone kind of recognizes how ridiculous that moment is and kind of embraces it. So, you know, that's become, it's our Boba Fett really, you know? I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just like we see that and we're like, well, at least it's not a Gungan. So <laughs> we've come a long way. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. It's just a thing. And like, I'm totally fine embracing it. And like, so the more and more I build off of this, the more it's just like a bigger joke to me. I don't know. In my head, I'm like, in in you know, twenty or thirty years, if I have children, they're gonna be like, "Why does Dad have all of these pictures of the shirtless guy?" Maybe like, well, in 2018, it was yeah. a strange time. Exactly. So you know, I went to FlameCon. It was fantastic. I have this huge love for all of the very nice creators. Like Cena Grace was the coolest guy to me. 
I, I've only talked to him once. And he remembered me. He remembered my name. He was such a, like, so cool. It was just, it was just a very nice moment. I had a lot of very nice moments. As that con always has very nice moments. I'm like reassured that if I go back next year and forever years in the future, I'm always going to have a good time. And I'm going to feel like super welcomed and people are going to be nice to me because everyone's there like to enjoy the independent comics and fandoms and stuff like that that can be very toxic. But instead, it's as far as I'm seeing it, it's a very positive experience. So if you ever get a chance to come out to FlameCon in New York, I highly recommend it. You don't have to be, you know, part of the, you don't have to be part of the LGBTQ plus community. You know, you can you can go and just enjoy yourself and enjoy the fandoms that all these other people are enjoying as well. Awesome. Highly recommended. But let's actually talk about comic books and not about my <laughs> lovely like experience at FlameCon. Um, how have you guys been? How have comic books been? Uh, let's start with you, Kara. I have packed up my entire apartment to move to a new apartment in two weeks that I can't move into yet. So in the interim, I'll be couch surfing at a friend's house but i say couch surfing but they have a spare guest room and bathroom so i'll actually be living a better life than when i move into my actual place (laughs) but it's like like effect like uh, technically i'll be homeless for two weeks but that that seems like the wrong thing to say because i i see people living on the streets around here like i know I'm i'm very well off um comics are great i read a a book that is completely gimmicky but ended up actually being pretty good a one of the many many justice league avengers crossovers of the past 50 years this one Mm -hmm. is from 2003 kurt busiek and george perez and it's basically like obviously it's just an excuse for the avengers and the justice league to interact Right. And like it's full of all of these like super gimmicky moments where it's like Hawkeye and Green Lantern, Green Lantern, Green Arrow getting up in each other's faces over who's the better archer and so forth. Of course, but <laughs> they actually do some really interesting things with the story and talking about the nature of the two different universes in the context of the story, because mm. like. Superman and Captain America actually come off as huge jerks in the first half of this because they're just being all like grumpy about how each other's planets are such a mess. Like Superman, I love America more. Oh wait, different. No, 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 because no, 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 no. it's like Superman looking around at how like they're basically doing a world tour of all the horrible things that have happened in the Marvel universe. Like they roll by Gehenna and like Detroit after the Hulk raised it and like things like that. And Superman's oh, like, geez. how can you do this? How could you let this happen? <laughs> and meanwhile, when the Avengers <laughs> pop into the DC universe, they're like, like Quicksilver's freaking out because there's a whole museum devoted to speedsters and just like heroes are revered. <laughs> so Cap is looking around like, these must be godlike overlords that force people to worship them. <laughs> it's just, oh, they're, right. they're okay. just getting okay. like so upset about each other's like planes of existence and like Scarlet mm-hmm. Witch tries to tap into the chaos magic in the DC universe, but it's like wilder, more intense chaos magic than the Marvel universe. So she starts like tripping out and the flash can't access the speed force in the Marvel universe. So in the Marvel <gasps> universe, he's effectively useless. <laughs> so it's That's stuff, a fun little twist, right? Yeah. It's so they do a lot of little things like that, that are super interesting. And then uh, towards the end of the book, it's like this trippy, like the worlds are merging and reality is distorting. So it's like every other panel, the rosters change, the costume era changes. Like, so it, it's like super fun if you're a huge nerd and know like all of these different eras of all of these team lineups and can pick people right. out. Otherwise, I think it would be super confusing. And like <laughs> most of the Marvel stuff I was lost for for that reason. But for all the DC stuff, I was like, yeah, yeah, I remember canary's costume with the headband do that again like it's like all this stuff and actually like the last page where they kind of resolve the the macguffin conflict that caused this whole universe march to happen in the first place they actually set it up really nicely for what could potentially be a really cool story to spin out of it but also is like a nice ending to this story and they got to the last panel and i was like oh snap so i thought that was very satisfying i didn't expect for the like flimsy excuse 
for these teams to meet to be actually good, but it ended up being good. It <laughs> was actually pretty good. That sounds great. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, who is it? Paul, do you love these Amalgam comics? Or am I going crazy? Uh, yeah, you know, um, I definitely remember reading the whole Amalgam crossover when it came out at the time. And it's actually something I should probably try to revisit. But um, that was something different. Where basically the Amalgam miniseries was DC and Marvel basically combining universes. So you had oh, right, amalgamated right, right, versions right. of characters. So you had like Wolverine and Batman were like fused in one character called Dark Claw. And they had like, you know, Captain America okay. and Superman fused together. So that's really fun stuff. I don't remember much about it, but that might be worth revisit, actually. Okay. okay. There, there well, were like some more cross... Wait, I have to say this one thing because I yeah, just remembered yeah. like my favorite oh snap moment from like the middle of this book when everything was kind of like mixing together where they show up on Apocalypse and Darkseid has the Infinity Gauntlet. And oh, Lord. You have a moment where you're like, what? <laughs> but the Infinity Stones don't work in the DC universe. So it's just uh. like, so it's like all these kind of like, oh, man, oh, what if? And just like figuring out how all of these things would go together. And they they did a really good job. They did not have to do as good a job with this as they did. <laughs> okay, sorry, sorry for my yeah. confusion. Yeah, so so Darkseid just ends up with a really cool looking glove. <laughs> yeah, he like t- he like takes it off because he's like, uh, he says something like, "I I sense that there should be power in this, but there isn't, so it's useless to me. Be gone." <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> All right, that's, that's great. We're leaving. <laughs> now, Paul, how have you been? How have comic books been? I've been good. Um, I've I've uh, read some comics recently. I've been catching up on some stuff. Um, I actually did a nice trip yesterday. I walked down to a local comic shop because it's close to my house. There's also a brewery close to my house. So I sat at the bar and read some comics while having a beer. Amazing. Nice. It's a perfect way to spend a Saturday afternoon, yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the comics I actually read when I was there was Justice League number 6. Uh, it's by Scott Snyder and art by Jorge Jimenez. Guys, Justice League is really good right now. Um, Ever since the whole Justice League No Justice sort of reboot and Scott Snyder's been writing the book, I've really, really liked it because it's that sort of like big, sort of silly Silver Age inspired stuff that really is clicking for me right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when, when the No Justice miniseries ended and it ends with uh, Snyder basically reintroducing the Legion of Doom, I was kind of did an eye roll, like really going back to the whole Legion of Doom, Lex Luthor, Joker, Cheetah, Black Manta, all that stuff again. But it's actually kind of a nice update of that concept, and it's working really well for me in this book. On top of that, you have this whole thing that during that miniseries, the source wall was ruptured, so you have all these dark energies are leaking into the DC universe. So <laughs> the Flash is being uh, the Flash is rendered useless because uh, Lex Luthor discovered that there is a still force that's the opposite of the speed force. <laughs> what? And there's yeah, there, Paul. And there's, I love it. Yeah, exactly. It's it's, it's amazing. <laughs> You have a whole like you have the you know the Green Lanterns have the, all the different color spectrum lanterns now, but there's the you know the ultraviolet spectrum that you can't see. That's all the dark emotions. So there's those show up as well. It's great, over the top, silly fun. But what is really interesting to me is that in this book, Scott Snyder is actually using caption boxes in a way that I haven't seen a writer use caption boxes in what feels like decades <laughs> instead of it caption boxes in the book, just being like a character's internal monologue or voiceover. Mm-hmm. It's actually like an omniscient narrator. Someone that's not a character in the book, ex- describing what's happening and describing the character's emotions. And it's like, uh. when's the last time you actually saw that in, especially like a superhero book from the big two, it feels totally retro to me. The only book I can think of, the only two books I can think of that have done that and in a way that wasn't annoying were mm-hmm. Black Bolt by Saladin Ahmed right. and right, right, uh, right. the Black uh, oh, Black Hammer books by Jeff Lemire. He's done it a little bit in those books, but otherwise, you're totally right, I think. Yeah. Um, especially for a flagship book. That's like, it's Black Bolt, that's one thing, but for a flagship book like Justice League, that's actually impressive. Yeah, it really stood, stands out because you haven't seen it in a while. I forgot about the Black Bolt one, but I feel like Snyder is doing it even more. It's like on every page. There's like these lengthy descriptions, and Crazy. it's really working for me. It's really cool. Um, I really dig it. So um, the other book that I read this week I want to talk about briefly is um, American Splendor, Unsung Hero. It's a little three-issue miniseries that Dark Horse published back in 2002. I happened to find the issues super cheap at my local comic shop, so I grabbed them. 
Um, nice. American Splendor is one of those things. If I see random issues of, I'll just buy no matter what. Um, so this is obviously written by Harvey Picar uh, with art by David Collier. And instead of it being the sort of typical Harvey Picar autobiographical day in the life type comic, it's actually a biography about a Vietnam veteran that Harvey Picar works with at the VA hospital in Cleveland named uh, Robert McNeil. And it's basically an interview with him explaining his experiences in Vietnam and especially being a an African-American soldier or Marine in Vietnam and the experiences he went through um, at that time with the racial tensions, not only in the United States, but also in the jungles of Vietnam, his experiences um, fighting in the in the war. And it's just like just a solid comic. And it's like it's funny because it's written by Harvey Picard, but it's basically just this guy telling his story and every couple pages would be a panel of him talking to Harvey but Harvey doesn't really edit it at all it's basically the guy just giving like a monologue about his experiences and it's just a really engaging slice of life type story and it's a guy who's not like a well-known marine he's just like a random guy but it's a still fascinating story it's and you know again it's a testament to how you should always dig through the dollar bins at your local comic shop because you never know what you'll <laughs> find right right this was a nice nice surprise and I really dug it cool well, for me, I read a ton of books. Particularly, I read a lot of X-Men books because no. I realized I was behind. I know, I know. So, like, I do read a lot of X-Men books, but I was, I don't know, I was in, like, this weird funk where I was like, I'm so mad about this marriage thing, but then Mr. and Mrs. X came out, and then, I don't know, I've just been, like, so, I'm in, like, a weird mood around X-Men books. So, I finally actually sat down this past week, and I, like, dug through a ton of them because I got really frustrated about Astonishing X-Men number 13. It turns out I need to read all of X-Men Blue, and I'm, like, eight issues behind, and I'm just like, ugh. So, I didn't read that yet. I read everything else. Um, I did read Mr. and Mrs. X number one. This is by Kelly Thompson with art by Oscar Balzadua and Frank Diamarda, and this is the this is the book that came out of X-Men Gold. This came out of the X-Men issue where Kitty and Colossus were supposed to get married, but spoilers, it's too late, it's all over the internet. Rogue and Gambit end up getting married for some reason. I mean, the build-up to that came out of the um, Rogue and Gambit miniseries that Kelly Thompson wrote where they kind of rekindled their relationship and they decided, you know, maybe we can actually make this work, which I was very satisfied with. All I was fine with them just dating again. And instead, they got married. And so this issue goes through their the actual marriage and the goofs and the gags and X-Men being goofy. And Kelly Thompson has such a really amazing way to put all the X-Men in a room and make them be goofballs together. And I really love that. Uh, the end of the issue was kind of your standard setup of things can't just be happy. They also have to have a fight. Ah. And so some people from the Shi'ar galaxy or whatever consortium, they show up because there's a package that needs to be picked up. It doesn't really matter. All I know is that I got Rogue and Gambit being like together for a little bit in this issue, and that's all that I can ask for. I was very happy. <laughs> You're an easy man to please sometimes, Mike. I, I am. I really am. I mean, after so many years of them being apart, I'm finally, I'm like super happy that they're back together and it's it's working like OTP forever. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, on the other side of the spectrum, I also read Extermination Number 1. This is by Ed Brisson with art by Pepe Larraz, or at least penciled by Pepe Larraz. I couldn't find any other art information about this because the internet is weird. So I guess like this this series is like a five-part miniseries where we're going to wrap up the whole original five showed up in the marvel universe thanks to brian michael bendis and time travel and everything's been kind of busted because of that but the twist at the end of this issue i did not see coming and i that's probably one of the best feelings ever because of the x-men it's always like oh it turns out it was mr sinister or it was apocalypse back again it's always the same person over and over um or bishop from like another timeline or the phoenix forces possessed somebody this week the twist in this one and i wrote in my notes was chef kissy fingers the Oh yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, especially, it was it was such a solid twist. I'm, I'm very impressed. So I'm gonna stick around for this, even though the the price tag is unreasonable to a certain extent. But you got to get those books every week. How much is so, it? Yeah, I think the first issue was six dollars. No. Oh wow. And then the next issues are gonna be four dollars each. But that's like your Marvel standard practice for number ones nowadays. Like what, I almost $6? went and bought dollars. How many pages? Thirty-two, I think, for the first issue. No. Oh. That is so inefficient. Like, go yeah. see a matinee movie. <laughs> I know. Um, I could have bought two Image comics for that price, but I need That's them true. X-Men. I mean, I almost <laughs> bought a copy of Fantastic Four number one, but I saw that it was $6, and I was like, I'll just wait for a Marvel sale or something like that. Like, I, or I'll yeah, like, I did. pick it up when it's been severely discounted or something like that. 
yeah, I did the same thing. Oh, well, there are, there are enough copies in my local shop that I know if I check that dollar bin in a couple months, there might be some fantastic yeah. four number ones in there. Exactly. I mean, that's the funny thing about it. They did like, what, 30 variant covers for that issue? I can't even believe it. And like, they were like, a lot of them were like attached variants. So like, if you got one, you needed to get the other three because it had all four of them on it. And like, it was like put together. I hate it. Did, did you need to get it though? Did you oh, I need to get it. I didn't. That's why I didn't buy it. Ugh. I mean, if anyone out there got Fantastic Four number one, let me know if it was any good. I know someone. Is it $6 uh, say, good? That's the question. Like yeah, I read, right, so right. Raggedy Joe, um, I'm just going to call him out because he was like, Mike, you got to read Thor number one and two, you idiot. And I was like, rude, first off. <laughs> two, if you say so. And I read it and it was very good, but it wasn't $6 good. I don't think I'm going to pick up the rest until it's like in a collected edition or something like that. <laughs> but um, because I do want to read it. I think Jason Aaron has a really good, does a really good job writing Thor, but I don't think it was $6 good, you know? And like each of the issues is, yeah. So anyways... That's what we read this week before I go into a whole rant about comic book pricing, which we've talked about way too many times on the show. Let's talk about what we're excited for this upcoming week. Comic books are being released on August 22nd, 2018. What are you guys excited for this week? Let's start with you, Kara. Me. I am excited for Giant Days Volume 8. I know I talk about Giant Days (laughs) all the time, but it's because it's good. And I misremembered the release date of this particular trade and reserved it at my library like a million years ago and (laughs) i just kept looking at my place in the reservation queue not moving and i'd be like what bitch is hoarding this title from me (laughs) like who is maxing out their three-week checkout stay and so i felt like a complete idiot when i looked at the new releases list and i was like oh it's not out yet (laughs) That's why right. nothing's changed. <laughs> so, and I, I'm especially excited for this one because um, I just got caught up on all of the trades up to this point, including the extra credit trade, which compiles the holiday specials and boombox one shots. Oh man, I so, never got that. Yes, <gasps> yes. So I'm all caught up, and I want to know what's next. Give it to okay. me now. So I'm ready. I mean, I mean honestly, this is like a, a favorite of the show. I think most people on the show have read at least some of this paul we got to get you in i don't I know, know if I, you're in i will get you in i i, I love that i heard enough so <laughs> i think I'm, I think I'm gonna try it out well the last you time i talked about it i didn't realize that i was blowing everyone's mind by saying that it takes place in the uk everyone thought it was either the u.s <laughs> or canada yeah but it's, it very much takes place in the uk which yeah. admittedly took me to like the second trade to figure out but they they Same. do drop some hints in there and then when they start up saying when they just actually start saying place names then you're like oh that's definitely king's cross doesn't exist in the united states right (laughs) (laughs) yeah well cool paul what are you excited for this week i am excited for shanghai red number three uh from image it's written by christopher sabella and the show friend of the show art by joshua hickson this book is so good I picked up the first issue kind of on a whim because I dug the cover and I mm-hmm. recognized the, the the writer's name because he's a friend of the show. So I picked up <laughs> and I really dug it. Um, if you're not reading this, it's a five-issue miniseries. Um, it's basically about... Um, it takes place, I think, in the eighteen late 1800s. Uh, it's basically... You know what Shanghaiing is, where in port cities they would kidnap people, uh, people that were drunk or homeless people, and they throw them on a boat and make them work on the boat, uh, sail back to China and back and forth, basically a, a form of like slavery. And this book follows um, someone who had been Shanghaied. Basically, it's a revenge story. She's going to get revenge on the people that kidnapped her, took her away from her family. She's basically takes over the ship in the first issue, sails back to Portland, and ever since then, it's just been her seeking revenge uh, for what happened to her. It's a bloody, violent revenge comic right up my alley. Um, I'm really digging it. And the artwork is fantastic. I think this is a book that, uh, if you're not reading it now, when it's all collected in trade, it's well worth tracking down. It's a really satisfying comic. Yeah, I've heard the same thing. I, my plan was to collect this in trade, so I'm excited to hear that it's, it's kept up the excitement from the first issue. Yeah, I mean, there's such a good hook in that first issue when you find out that the main character, you know, is a woman and she's going to get revenge. And what's interesting is the way that they're able to kind of keep that tension going. It's obviously she gets in way over her head in the second issue. So it's it's a it's a satisfying book, but there's enough of a hook there where it's it, it's going to really uh, capture your attention and you know make you want to read the whole thing. 
Cool. Well, for me this week, I'm super excited for the actual final issue of Royal City. I think I said when Royal City 13 came out that it was the last issue. Royal City 14 is the final issue. This is the Jeff Lemire solo book. I think Colors by Emmy Lennox on this one, or maybe Alternative Color. I just saw Emmy Lennox was credited as well. Um, so this is the actual end of it. All of the quote-unquote ghosts are catching up with everyone. Um, honestly, I don't really want to say much else about this book because it's been a it's been a really good, solid, emotional ride. Exactly what you expect out of Jeff Lemire. Um, lots of really interesting turns and twists in the story. And like it's it's I don't mean to oversimplify by say like it's a it's a really good emotional ride. Like Jeff Lemire does that very well, but the way that he does it in each of his books is wildly different. And I think this one in particular was had such a cool twist in the first issue. Like I've been riding that high since the since then. And so 14 issues later, I'm still excited for this book. It's whenever the book comes out, it's the first thing that I read that week. It's it's been a consistently good book. Um, I'm really sad to see it go, but I'm also happy to see an end. So I'm 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 really excited for the end of this book. <laughs> That's about all I can say about it. This will be a really good one to collect in trades. I really hope that Image does like a a deluxe hardcover of the entire series, seeing that it's only 14 issues. So. Yeah, if you can't, if you haven't seen this or picked this up yet, go grab the first trade and wait for the second trade to come out because it's it's a really really good book and it reads very easily, especially if you're like into like mid mid to early '90s culture. Like, there's a lot of that in there. Um, Jeff Lemire talks in the notes at the end of each issue about how a lot of the feeling in like this the this sad depressive state that one of the characters is in is inspired by how he felt as a kid growing up in like the 90s and so he has playlists at the end of some of the issues about the type of music that inspired the feelings for that issue and I've always found that really cool because I know a lot of that music um, if only because I've gone and you know on a like time traveling music ride where I've been like, all right, let's listen to Nirvana and Pearl Jam for like three hours straight today. <laughs> um, and it feels like it's that and a lot of other stuff too. So if, if you're into that kind of like, I don't know what you call it, like North Northwest coast music from the nineties, like grunge grunge. Yeah. That's, I could probably just label it as that you might be into this as well. There's some other stuff in there too. So I don't want to label it just grunge, but it is a lot of grunge. <laughs> This sounds uh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I've been on record on the show saying like a lot of the Jeff Lemire stuff I've read hasn't clicked for me, but I really, really liked his Essex County stuff. Is this closer to that? I actually than... haven't read Essex County. Oh, okay. But I think that it is. Like this is a okay. more like depressing slice of life kind of book. And from my understanding, right. that's what Essex County was. So Very if you like much, that, yeah. you probably will like this one as well. Okay, cool. I'll have to check it out. For our show this week, we are asking the question, if you were going to summer camp right now, what comics would you want to get in a care package? Old? New? Imagine you're 11 years old and you have to go and you can send comic books back to your, let's say, 11-year-old self at summer camp. What would you pick? <laughs> so, Kara, Paul, and I, we sat down and we, we thought real hard about this, came up with some picks and discussed those picks a little bit, and now we're actually going to talk about them. So... <laughs> <laughs> Paul, Kara, what would you send back to your 11-year-old self at summer camp? First of all, I never actually went to summer sleepaway camp, so all of like, so all of this is just me being like... This is all what, what, a special AU where the IRCB podcast folks are 11 years old, and we've gone to summer camp, and... <laughs> like, yeah. like I, I, get the, I get the idea of camp, like I did day camp, there were like a couple weekends where there was like a girl scout sleepover weekend and i would like do a couple weeks in the summer staying with relatives in a place that wasn't mine so that was like kind of like camp so i'm thinking just kind of like summer no schedule time to kill what do i want to read so i'm going with the obvious cliche which is lumberjanes because the first time (laughs) i read it Uh the first time i read it my gut reaction was where was this when i was 12 Right. Or the, probably right, right. probably more right. accurately like anywhere between like eight and 12 but i was like where was this book when i was a kid do the youths of america even know how lucky they are gen z you're so lucky so, <laughs> <laughs> so uh definitely that one which takes place at a summer camp so of course it's like the most appropriate <laughs> thing in the world but um at that age i even had 
a more active imagination than I do now in terms of like, you know, I would, I would be staying at summers in my aunt and uncle's cabin in the woods in Maine. And my cousins and I were like, yeah, there was mermaids under the dock and there's fairies in the woods. Right. And like all that stuff was just like that. Like, of course there's a unicorn. You just can't see it because it is like chilling behind that rock over there. It's cool. So <laughs> like, so the, the magical creature aspect of Lumberjanes hugely appeals to me because that's basically what I was doing anyways. Mm-hmm. So like reading that book for me was just like, it, it's always made me just feel like I'm in that younger mentality of like magic exists and like cool things can happen and friendships are awesome and forever and all of that. So that yeah, it's like, it's like that younger mentality of adventures are real and you can make them and you can draw the plot together. However you want to fit whatever world you're actually in. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. like that's magical stuff right there. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then I decided to, to pick an, another book that's like, kind of in the same vein in terms of magic but not the obvious lumberjanes choice it's a graphic novel series called amulet Mm -hmm. that uh scholastic publishes through their graphics imprint i think and there's there's a few volumes i've only read the first one each one's like over 200 pages and it's just this really engaging story about this uh this girl and her brother and their mom mm, they move to a new place after their dad dies and it's like old older relative has left mysterious artifact behind and mysterious artifact opens a whole new world under the house and they go on adventures and it's just oh, cool. it's so cool <laughs> it's so cool and like the art is gorgeous it's like this um it's it's sort of like a an animation that looks kind of like maybe it might have been Studio Ghibli or maybe it might have been like Avatar the Last Airbender kind of thing but in the format of this graphic novel series where like anything could happen like when I was reading the first volume I got vibes of like 90s classics like like The Secret of Nim and the Brave Little Toaster and <laughs> okay, um, okay. some like early 2000s Disney stuff like Treasure Planet or Atlantis the Lost Empire like that kind of vibe so I was thinking <laughs> like man if I was like at summer camp at 11 I would want my parents to send me like this whole series and I would just keep rereading that the whole summer and be totally happy gotcha yeah, yeah. I mean it sounds to me like you've got like a whole I, I want magic to be real. Please make magic real vibe going here. Well, who doesn't? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, being I, real. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think that that's, that's like, it reminds me of a time where I could believe that that kind of stuff exists. And I mean, that's the, the type of story that really like can draw me in. Like the, the reason why I like the Chronicles of Narnia book so much is because it was like, were these characters like have been, you know, we've been thrust into this weird world and then, oh, we discover that there's actually like magic behind all of it. So like them going into Narnia and I mean like the building and craziness of the Narnia series is one other thing that I just find really exciting. But, you know, like that first thing, the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, like that, that was such a, a cool idea for me, which is why I like devoured those books when I was younger. So I totally understand it. Like <laughs> that that idea of, oh, we're now at this old relative's house. We're at some new place. And there turns out there's a magical thing. Like I totally understand that. I mean, I, I, I feel like I've seen this Amulet series like at every comic book shop and I've never actually picked it up, but I've only heard great things about it. See, now that so, I'm talking about it, I'm going to like see if my library has copies because I'm like, well, wait, that's a, what wait, do you think s- I'm doing after this show? <laughs> you know, like, I don't yeah. need to be 11 to appreciate this. I can read it right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean that sounds like fun stuff, Paul. Yeah. What what's on your what's on your list? Okay, well, I th- I kind of took this topic and I really tried to think about it and put myself in that mindset of you know um, what it was like to be at summer camp. And full disclosure, I was in Boy Scouts. I went camping a lot. I spent a lot of time at summer camp. Okay, and, okay. And, you know, it's funny. I actually do have a pretty like vivid comic book related memory from being at camp. I um, I think I was just starting to get into buying uh, comics at the time. I was probably like nine or ten at camp. 
And um, look at rich man Pauly over here with a dollar fifty well, exactly. to buy his comic books. <laughs> buying them at buying them at the uh, the general store at the corner, um, right, at the, right. Or at the supermarket because <laughs> um, I'm old. Um, but I remember being at camp and I was just starting to get into comics, but I was very much into DC. I was very much into Silver Age DC because I was getting through dollar bins and uh, the back issue bins and buying stuff like that. Um, but I remember being at camp and there was another kid at camp who had a bunch of comics, and they were all Marvel comics, but he had one issue of The Flash. And I was like, oh yeah, The Flash, can I read that? And the kid's like, yeah, you know what, you can have it. I don't even know why I bought that. It was a mistake. I thought (laughs) DC stands for dumb creation, right? And I was like, whatever, dude. (laughs) Whatever. So I I remember I uh, read that that Flash issue. I actually remember the cover pretty vividly, so I looked it up. Thanks to the magic of the internet, it was Flash number 23, cover dated February 89. So probably the summer 89, I might have had that issue and read it gotcha. at camp. Um, so I try to put myself in the mindset of what an 11-year-old me would have been reading in the summer. And one thing jumps out to me, and that's the whole reign of the Superman series, which ran through the four Superman titles in the summer of 93. Mm-hmm. Um, action Comics, Superman, Man of Steel, Adventures of Superman. This was the aftermath of the Death of Superman storyline, where Superman's gone, and then four replacement Superman show up, and I was totally into this. This was my shit when I was a kid. I loved it. Um, <laughs> Wait, that, that blue Superman? Wait, it was blue Superman, red Superman, that, that was there a robot one? Yeah, so you had um, the last son of Krypton, which is basically like a, a the Kryptonian, I think, computer program, which was the essence of <laughs> Superman. And then you had Eradicator. Um, maybe that was Eradicator. Was the yeah? He had like weird goggles. It's a clone of Superman. Uh, so those are the four: Eradicator. Yep, Eradicator, Cyborg, Superman, Superboy, and Steel. And um, I was really into this stuff. I think the death of Superman was such a massive thing, and I was the right age at the time. That was the first comic I remember going to comic shops specifically to get the individual issues and collect them all and read them in order before I even had like a pull list or anything. So it was a really vivid time. I mean, obviously, if, if you were alive at the time, it was a massive story. It was covered in all the newspapers when the first like really big, massive comic book events I remember. Oh, wow. And this stuff I was really into. I was just trying to follow it along. And reading four different titles, how they intertwined. It was like it really was firing your imagination at the time, especially if you're 11 or 12. It, it was it was perfect. I would love to go back and revisit it. I, I doubt it's held up, <laughs> but it might be fun to revisit that stuff and see. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, 11-year-old me at summer camp would have been totally down to read some Superman comics. So that'd be my pick. <laughs> One way to find Superman. out, Paul. Um, yeah, yeah. It's funny how that stuff's still around. Like the Cyborg Superman still pops up every now and again, you know. And like that, that I remember really liking that Superboy stuff when it's the clone of Superboy. He had a leather jacket with the Superman logo on the back. He looks so cool. Of course, it's good stuff. And it, I, you know, what's funny? If I was at summer camp at age thirty-six right now, I'd probably still want to read those comics. So yes, I've seen this before. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I was trying to think, like, what comics would I want to read as a kid versus now? And I'm like, it's all the same. I'm the same person. It's Nothing has same, changed. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. I haven't grown up. <laughs> what, other, what other thing would you give, Paul? So I know. Okay. Like, yeah. or, or go ahead, Kira. No, 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 no. Go on, Paul. Um, so I and also tried to think, uh, you know, now if I was going to be at camp as a teenager and um, what books I would send myself, what books I think I would appreciate. And I'm going to go on a limb and say, I'm going to assume I'll be a hipper uh, 11 or 12 year old than I really was and, okay. <laughs> and send myself uh, Proxima Centauri by Feral Dalrymple uh, his new miniseries that's going at, at Image right now which I'm totally oh, yeah. digging and it is it's weird and it's trippy and it's sort of sci-fi sort of fantasy um, it's dreamlike and I think if I gave it to myself at the right time as a kid I really would have clicked with me it's about um, a character named Sherwood, who I think shows up in the Wrenchies. The thing about Feral Darnpool's comics is they're all sort of intertwined. So you have like mm-hmm. characters in one story will show up in another story. And it's not like there's a through line you have to read to get at the whole thing. It's just like a shared universe so you can jump in at any moment or any place and kind of dig your way through. So it's this character yeah. named Sherwood. He's a teenager. He's kind of bratty and uh, disenfranchised. And he's in this, you know, strange sci-fi world of Proxima Centauri, this distant planet. And he's just trying to find his way in the world. And I think it kind of click with me, you know, if you're a teenager who's of a certain sort of, you know, social awkwardness, it might really vibe with you. 
on top of it being weird and trippy, it kind of feels dangerous. There's curse words in it. I totally would have yeah, dug yeah, it yeah. as a teenager. So Proxima Centauri, <laughs> it's a book I like now as a 36-year-old, but I bet as a teenager it would have been mind-blowing, you know, if I'd read it when I was younger. Yeah, I've been I've been keeping up with this book. I think like I think a teenager would read this or even like someone who's like 12 or 13 or whatever, you'd read this and you think, I'm so fucking cool for reading this book. <laughs> yeah, look at, how, exactly. look at how weird it is. You know, I, I remember being edgy younger. I am. Well, that's the thing. Like, I remember being younger and like some of the first comics I ever really read. Um, I, I think I may have told, I don't think I told this story on the show before, but like one of the first comics I ever really actually tried to read before I got into like heavy X-Men territory mm-hmm. and uh, Invincible and Walking Dead and stuff was uh, I was reading the Johnny Homicidal Maniac books and like Squee, like all those Jonan Vasquez books, yeah. Vasquez books. And like, I always thought, oh yeah, these are so dark and edgy. And they didn't make a lick of sense. But <laughs> I was like, oh, look at, look at, I'm, look how cool I am hanging out with all the goth kids reading these like weird edgy books about people dying and murdering, you know, bunnies and blah, 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 or murderous bunnies, I should say. <laughs> uh, and I, I think that Proxima Centauri is like that same kind of thing where it's like really fucking weird yeah. and like edgy. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It feels kind of dangerous. And I think, you know, uh, when we talked to Farrell uh, at Emerald City, um, he mentioned yeah, front of the show. Front of the show, yeah. Uh, he mentioned <laughs> that uh, you know the movie Over the Edge, which is the teenage you know the teenage drama that came out in the late seventies, early eighties about these disenfranchised teenagers who are just kind of like dropping out of society and trying to find their place in the world. Just a dark, sort of edgy, dangerous movie that I remember watching when I was younger, and it totally made sense. I'm like, oh, now I, I get where you're coming from, and it is. I think it is a book, and all of his books deal with that that strangeness of that time period, you know, we're just kind of hitting puberty and you're not comfortable in your place in the world and you're trying to find your way. Mm-hmm. And I just love, he takes that feeling and kind of puts it in like a weird, you know, trippy dreamlike science fiction setting. Um, yeah. I think it would totally click uh, for me at the time. I remember when I was a teenager too, I was really deep into madman. So I guess if there was some madman comics that I could send myself, I would really enjoy that too. When I was at camp, the Mike all red gotcha. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, for me, I, I, I would send back in time Astonishing X-Men Volume 1 to get this X-Men love started <laughs> when I was younger. Uh, not that I didn't like the X-Men when I was younger, but I mean, I, I don't think I really read any comics until I was like a teenager. You lost um, so like, much time, Mike. I, exactly. <laughs> like I watched the cartoon and then like all this time passed and then I started picking up comics. So the thing I really like about Astonishing X-Men Volume 1 is, one, it feels really cool, like... Say what you will about Joss Whedon, like that whole book just feels like it has this like really hip edge to it where like Joss Whedon's writing snarky lines for every single character. And so as you're reading it, you're kind of like you feel really cool reading those lines and like the fight that breaks out in the first issue is really fun um, and like super action packed. It's your your two iconic duo um, men that are secretly in love with each other, Wolverine and Cyclops duking it out <laughs> because of some stupidity. Like, of course, they're just fighting for the sake of fighting. And that that story evolves a lot. They they bring in a lot of characters like Kitty Pride and like Emma Frost is a very big part in it. John Cassie does a really good job of just portraying a lot of people's faces, like who's in power, who's in not. I think they did a lot of really good jobs, or they did a really good job with just portraying all the character dynamics in that first volume that set up the next three volumes that bring in the wackiness and weirdness of sending Kitty Pride into space and so on and so forth. I don't know if I'd send myself the all four volumes but if i could i probably would just to like get a semi-complete thing um and then i would be totally in love with all these characters and i'd you know 13 year old me would be like what else and then i'd find grant morrison's new x-men i i feel like this is would just be a predestined like like basically rewind everything that i did you know from 17 to 21 back to (laughs) 13 to 17 and then um then i would have fallen into a very weird time for comic books but yeah uh, that's neither here nor there. But I think Astonishing X-Men Volume 1 would be my first pick. Um, if only because, you know, got to have X-Men. I'm very X-Men <laughs> out this weekend. Um, I, I talked to Cena Grace, and that was great. I went to Jane Miles explain the X-Men. If you don't listen to that show, uh, it's, a, it's a podcast that is essentially uh, two guys talking about the history of X-Men. And they start the, the series by reading the first few issues of X-Men, and they go all the way through. Right now, they're at Executioner's Song, so they've made it up to there in their like weekly show they started about four years ago so almost about the same amount of time like i think they started right around the same time this show did and they've got they made some huge progress and they they know all the x 
people and it's a huge x-men thing xx xxx that's like <laughs> all that's on my mind right now um so yeah astonishing x-men would be my pick because i'm not biased or anything <laughs> so uh, <laughs> um, so i'm assuming i've been i have not read this and i've i've said yeah. this before i've read very little x-men comics yeah is this would this be like the good in- entry point to get someone into the x-men i mean would would this be something where maybe i could say like oh i see what mike's and i see what mike's talking about you know because Sometimes yeah. you talk about the X-Men, I'm like, how could anyone like that? But I think the same thing yeah, about no, Superman, so, yeah. You're, and you're totally right. You're yeah. totally right. I think Astonishing X-Men is a good entry point just to kind of get some ground, like some base understanding of a handful of characters. Sure. I think, it, you know, it also helps that you read Grant Morrison's new X-Men because this true. book was kind of a response to that. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. In that Marvel was like, all right, we need to swing back to more mainstream snarky fun that's like cookie cutter out of television type storytelling right okay. um, and we he does a good job with that i think like he definitely takes some weird left turns with characters so you may not know who like two of the villains are but they they he does a really good job the same way that he did in buffy where like if a character reappeared after a while they would do a really bad job with a back and forth about don't you remember when blah 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 happened and everyone mm. goes oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. um i think it's i mean and it's a four volume four volume investment okay um I, I would say that it's it's not a bad one. It's not a bad place to start. Okay. But uh, like all X Men books, you kind of got to roll with a handful of the punches, like knowing that Colossus died and um, why he's coming back to life in that book and all that stuff. <laughs> okay. Sure. Uh, but again, they do they do kind of sum it up in in a weird way. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Try it out. Tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm so I'm so in the shit that I can't see the hole that I've dug myself into. You know, uh, I can't see the top of the hole. So. Is this X mess also what you would pick for yourself now, or is this purely to get your love for the X Men started earlier? <laughs> I think, yeah. If I had, to, I mean, well, if we're being honest about would I pick this for myself, I would say myself now. I think yes, because it is it is an entertaining story. If I had like, you know, shipping costs are a thing that I tried to factor into this, Mike, <laughs> when I was thinking about it, because ultimately. <laughs> Four volumes to ship isn't that bad. What I would uh, right. pick probably because it's a really fun, goofy story that like I think 13-year-old Mike would be like, what the hell? And he couldn't stop reading <laughs> would be Exiles. But that's like 100 plus issues. And I wouldn't be able to just send myself volume one because volume one through five have such heavy hooks at the end of the arcs that I would I would want to keep reading. So maybe to get myself really hooked on comics really fast, I would send volume one of Exiles. But And then you'd have me. to wait until you're back from camp to read the yeah. rest. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've only been... I only went to summer camp twice when I was younger, and they were both for Boy Scouts. Because, mm-hmm. you know, Paul and I, we both grew up in the same area, so, like, Boy Scouts is a big thing. And I went to, like, summer camp, which is, like, a week long. Yeah. And so if I only had the one volume for a week... I might go crazy, but then again, there was also a lot of things to do, like shooting twenty-two rifles, yeah, and sailing on a lake. So that was one of those were my two pastimes when I was there, and drinking slushies. Those are like the <laughs> things that I did when I was there. If it wasn't shooting guns, taking a shower, or riding a sailboat, I was drinking slushies. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Really Boy Scout out. camp was different. <laughs> yeah, Boy Scout camp. I didn't do what you were supposed to do at Boy Scout camp, which is like get merit badges and earn your eagle scout and all that stuff i just like hung out for a week with my friends <laughs> that's that that's scouting also it's not all about achievement true true yeah. uh yeah i mean in the other book that i would send myself is kind of a weird one but it's a book that i really really love um and i think 13 year old mike would really love it this is super mutant magic academy by jillian tamaki the it's a web series that was collected into an edition that has like a full story at the end that kind of sums up a lot of the story but it's it's really quirky and like really smart assy and so i think 13 year old mike or 12 year old mike would think like oh man i'm so cool for reading this look at they said a swear and they also made fun of someone's butt like (laughs) (laughs) and i mean and it's it's a really it's a really fun comic too i mean i think if you read it it reminds me Whenever I see the that comic strip Nancy now, yeah, I don't know if you guys have been like following that Nancy comic strip online. The controversy, oh, it's the so controversial good. changes. So and, Nancy it's, has it's, a smartphone. Yeah, <laughs> well, but, you know they so they updated that. If you haven't seen, like listeners out there, if you haven't seen this Nancy comic strip, just Google Nancy comic strip. It's just this like three to five panel strip that comes out like three times a week, or I don't know, maybe every day. 
and they took on like a they went in a whole different direction with this with the character and like the jokes and it's gotten re- it's really really funny and it's so well done i feel like super mutant magic academy is that kind of humor as well so if you like that strip i think you'd really like this book and if you don't know what either of these things are <laughs> trust me buy super mutant magic academy you will you will be so happy that you did it because it is so well done or go read it all online because the majority of it is still online for free to read. You, you know, it's funny. I think the last time I was at my local library, I had a copy of this in my hand and I didn't check it out. It looked really cool. And I know the... the it, it is. Yeah. Is it Jillian Tamaki? Yeah. She, she yeah. did... Um, she illustrated... What was it? Uh, what's the name of the book? Uh, this One Summer uh, with her cousin. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And I really like that book a lot. But this feels very different. One, this One Summer is very much that, you know, coming of age story. Mm-hmm. And this just like looked more like a sort of like jokey kind of fun, you know, webcomic kind of thing. So I will have to go back and check it out from the library. Thanks for reminding me. Mike. Yeah, I, I really, <laughs> re- I mean, it's honestly, somebody at work turned me on to this and I was just like, this is kind of goofy. And then I read the entire thing in a sitting. Right. Like it's, yeah. it's so, and I'm kind of bummed that I did that because it's, it's, it's very long, but it's also very short because it's just that every page is a strip. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, there, there's so much fun stuff and like, at no point do you need to read the entire book. At no point do you need to read them in any order. The only thing you have to read in order is you have to get through at least the last handful of chapters and then get into the final chapter, which tells like the sum up story. But ultimately, you could just open up a page of this book and have a good time. Hmm. And like the the jokes about magic, because it's kind of like a mix of like X-Men and Harry Potter and I don't know, any other like super magic academy kind of thing. And the, which is where the joke name kind of comes from, but they they play off of all of the like kind of in jokes that you would get being a fan of any of those things. But by no means do you have to be an X Men fan or a Harry Potter fan or any other magical you know world fan because they it all plays off of like just the joke of tropes mm-hmm. uh, in those worlds that I think a majority of people at least in probably our age range are familiar with and. Maybe maybe younger Mike wouldn't get it, but I think he'd have a good time with it because there are some just like just really good fun humor pieces throughout that book. So I I, I mean I just love that book. I, I recommend it to like everybody um, who is looking for just something kind of off the wall, and this is the perfect example of that. Yeah, it's a good pick. I, I like the idea of uh, I'm trying to think of what the experience of summer camp is like and like what type of reading you would be doing, and the idea of a book that you can kind of just flip through and read at any moment probably works better than trying to run read through a whole series, you know, or a bunch of right. volumes and stuff. So, uh, yeah, interesting. I just realized that when I was a kid, um, and I don't know if this is good judgment by my parents or not, I had a subscription to Mad Magazine when I was like 11 years old. So I probably oh would have God. had a bunch so of issues I. of Mad I, Magazine. I feel like that's that their target me. demographic, though. Okay, so. Like that, that age group. <laughs> It'd be funny to like send... Uh, uh, current issues of Mad Magazine back to your 11-year-old self and you wouldn't get any of the references. It just be this really strange humor magazine. Oh, yeah. Okay, calm down, Satan. <laughs> <laughs> so for some reason, this 11-year-old kid just has all these magazines that are like predicting the future. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, speaking of that, that whole bit about like where would you read these things, I think... Paul, you made a great point, like being able to just pick up a a book and just being able to open a page and start it is great. But also, I think, you know, having single issues of a comic is also a cool thing. Like you you would run away from like all the things at camp and go find a tree to sit underneath and just kind of like open up a single issue of a comic and just hang out like to me that the picture of that is just so cool yeah like you would be the coolest kid at camp (laughs) you'd be the kid that's reading comic books at camp but it would just be like like i don't know like you described like you had that kid who had all the marvel books and you had the kid with the dc books and you guys are just sitting there just like oh man look what the flash is doing um i've never i never had that when i was younger where you're like sitting around people and you're just like oh look at what's happening here isn't that cool Mm -hmm. um i think at camp you could actually get that yeah and uh, there would be something communal about it um that the idea of like you could just trade issues back and forth especially you know being a kid and having comics you didn't have a ton of them i remember i only when i was younger i only had like you know maybe like a dozen comics so you just reread them over and over again then we could kind of trade them back and forth that's kind of what they're supposed to be right (laughs) kind of a communal experience that you can kind of share with people yeah and then you roll them up and stick them in your back pocket and you run down to the lake you know comics that's what i imagine (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Nick is Nick somewhere is cringing over the idea of rolling up a comic and putting it in your pocket. <laughs> Time for lunch and stick in your back pocket and run to the mess hall. Oh man. Yeah. Well, yeah. Sorry, the the Archie digests and double digests were just so great. Like those are the comics that I had 
when I was a kid. And those were just like, you could basically almost destroy those and they would still be legible. <laughs> so it's right. like the ideal format for a kid to read. You just like s- stick it in your pocket, stick it in the back pocket of the back seat of the car. Mm-hmm. Ready to go. Right. I feel like those Archie digests are like indestructible, you know, <laughs> kind of like I, the coloring books, I, you know, I once used one to hit my brother with and it really like I left a mark on his head because <laughs> just you, like the Archie A on his forehead. No, like, if you, cartoon. the double digest, those spines, man, those yeah. things hurt. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> if my brother's listening, I'm really sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but you know they they were good. Like I always really enjoyed those, um, yeah. because they you know, maybe not so much a every page is just a panel and a s- sort of self contained story, but it was just this collection of short self contained Archie stories from all these different eras. Yeah. So right. in one book you'd be reading a story from the forties next to a story from the nineties and you just get this full range of all these characters and the different artists who'd drawn them and mm-hmm. like all the the special stuff that they put in. I would get really excited for like the the little Archie reprints mm-hmm. or <laughs> like Archie B C they went through a phase where like Archie and his pals were all like cave people. <laughs> of course. Love right, it. right. Um, so stuff like that so like if I were to pick like summer books to send myself as a grown up now it would probably be some of the more recent Archie stuff because Archie comics in my head it's just like yes that's like the comic for anyone but Mm -hmm. I like as an adult I would probably want more of like the the Archie horror line or like that new oh, Betty yeah. and Veronica Vixen series they have going. So it's like the characters that I know and love, but with a twist that feels more edgy and adult. Right. <laughs> but in I like an like adult I way. Would almost, I would be like super terrified though. Like some of that Archie's horror stuff would just creep me out. Like if well, you're at I'm a summer camp. Like, but that's like, like yeah. now. If, if, if I was to go to a summer camp now at this current age. <laughs> no, okay. I'm talking yeah. about right now at this current age. I would be terrified. <laughs> You're like, not if you're in, at summer camp with all your friends then you uh, could just be like i can't sleep there's gonna like be what? an archie zombie coming to eat my brains any exactly. second yeah yeah <laughs> I, I i i i like that idea like in, a, in in your tent with a flashlight reading you know archie afterlife with archie that would be a pretty great experience uh, yeah, definitely. That's that's another beautiful like picture in my head of just like blankets over your head inside the tent with your flashlight pointing down. Or like just imagine like... imagine that you were the kid with an Archie horror book and like all the other kids are reading like the old school Archie comics and you're the jerk who's like read this and you put out like Jughead the Hunger number one and like terrify everybody. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> You would be like the coolest, worstest kid at the camp. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Okay, this <laughs> this is this is too much fun. I love it. Um, you know, but let's let's. I think we should wrap up here. I think we've we've gone through our ideal summer camp experience with comic books. Um, I think, uh, yeah. Any 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 final thoughts? I guess where would this fantasy you know camp be? Where do you guys think? Where do you foresee this camp being? Oh, definitely by a lake. Well, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, Mike and I, we're both from Michigan, and I think Michigan summers are pretty idyllic in my mind. So that's like the, obviously, mm-hmm. it's kind of what I knew growing up, but you got a ton of lakes around, it's, it's heavily wooded, you can run around and have fun. Uh, it, it gets incredibly hot at times, but again, you were close to a lake no matter where you are in Michigan. So it's like perfect in my mind, sort of northern Michigan. Gotcha. Yeah, Yeah, my summer experience was like New England Mm -hmm. coastal, but like where I was in Maine, that was a wooded area that was on a lake. So like that also was my conception of the perfect summer. Nice. See, I in my head I was picturing like Pacific Northwest, Hmm. like up in the semi mountainous area, because everything spooky is going to happen up there, and eventually this story turns into like a supernatural thriller about like a handful of like campers that have to solve the mystery of who done it because the camp counselors all went missing missing one night. Up until the camp part, every single part of your description was about Twilight, so that was what I thought of. (laughs) That's why I was like, Mike, no. Listen, you didn't hear the rest of my sentence. There are also sparkly vampires. (laughs) 
Okay. All right. That's it. I just wanted to. I just thought I'd ask, and I had to. I just had to. Like for some reason, I'm getting like a Twin Peaks vibe. I don't understand okay. it. Sure. But um, anyways, you know, thank you guys for doing this. This is a fun episode. Um, <laughs> you can follow us all on Twitter. You can follow Paul at Ohi Polly. You can follow Kara at Kara Sam. You can follow me at Mike Rappin, and you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast, where we retweet all sorts of fun, cool things, and we post polls like the one I posted today. Who would win in a fight? And I just picked some random heroes including Naruto and Wonder Woman. So figure it out, folks. Go vote. <laughs> we have a Goodreads group full of weekly threads and semi-regular book club episodes. Our website is ircbpodcast.com and that includes our pronunciation guide for creator names and our merchandise. And you can go buy a copy of that new zine that just came out last week. Yes, yes, do that. <laughs> and if you've done that, be sure to take a moment to rate and review and subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform you're using that really helps us out and helps us get more listeners and if you have any comments questions suggestions vegan chili recipes always send them to our email address ircb at destroythesibe.org infinity shred is the best band in the universe they do all of our music xander is a fun wizard that is like pocket size but when like you pull him out of your pocket he grows into a 12 story man he also edits the show he's the best i want to say thank you to paul and kara again for being on the show thank you to the listeners out there all of you are fantastic i want to <laughs> i also want to say that if you send me a dm on twitter we can exchange addresses and i can start writing you letters because i've been doing that with someone who lives in scotland so if you want to do that let me know send us a dm on our awesome. twitter <laughs> Until next time, high five your friends for being good people because you know you love them and they should know that you love them. Aww. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>